Father, you give us your precious word full of your promises and instructions, things that build us up, things that shape us up. And we pray that you'll speak to us again today. Holy Spirit, you are the one who takes words of Scripture and preaches explanations and makes them words that grip our hearts and shape our lives. Please do that again here today, we pray, that Jesus may be more honored in us next week than he was last week. Amen. Let's read Ephesians 6 uh, again, from verse 10. Oh, before I start there, we, last week we saw that this subject of the armor of God isn't really Paul needing to look at a Roman soldier and kind of invent a story around that. He's actually talking about the armor of God. And in the Old Testament, God himself is pictured as putting on armor and weapons and coming to fight to rescue his people and bring judgment on his enemies. It's God's own armor that we're to put on. So here we go. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the tactics, the, the wiles, the deceptions, the tricks of the devil. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting human beings. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest. And today, this is a verse we're looking at today, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. <clears throat> take the helmet of salvation, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. And pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So today we're looking at shoes or footwear of the gospel of peace. Your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Now, Talking with Jack before Jack preached last Sunday, we were having a little chat together, and he, he tipped me off about this one, so thanks, Jack, for this uh, heads up. As warfare increased in early times, various items gave advantage to this, this group of men or armies. Uh, they, that they used armor, that they rode horses, that they used javelins, that they used chariots. Uh, they used and developed shields and, and, and uh, bronze and then iron swords or then steel swords. But you probably haven't thought of this, that actually army and warfares also depended upon the quality of their shoes. So that in history, sometimes people who had the better footwear had a huge advantage in going into particular battle. The quality of their footwear, that is a typical legionary shoes, shoe in, from the time of Jesus and the time that the Romans were in Britain. Look at those. Talk about hobnail boots. Layer and layer of thick leather with, with literally lumps of steel and metal bashed into them so that you are, you, you know, you are sure-footed with one of those, yeah? And if the other guy's only got, you know, plain leather kind of like, like, like you know, seaside sandals, you know, who's, the, who's got the better footwear? The shoes shared, 
shod with the gospel of peace. It was designed making aware of the strong foot that was part of the dominance of certain world powers in the centuries before and after the coming of Jesus. To this day, the footwear of professional soldiers matters a great deal. So that you have footwear for the desert, you have footwear for the Arctic, you have footwear, normal footwear, you have footwear for parade, but you don't wear the parade shoes for fighting because they're not of the, the same quality. You need the footwear for the job. A soldier wearing the right footwear is ready to stand to move to fight. So, interesting though, Paul doesn't say here, footwear on, ready to go to battle. He says, ready to go with the gospel of peace. He turns it on his head. This soldier isn't running to go and kill somebody, but to share the gospel with them. Feet shed with the preparation or readiness of the gospel of peace. So this picture is drawn from Isaiah. Uh, which is often quoted by Romans in, in Paul in, in Romans. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings good news of good things. That's two ways of saying the same thing, peace and good things. Who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Hallelujah. Paul quotes it and as a how can they preach unless they're sent? It's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. It's also found in Nahum. When in Nahum 1.5, look to the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news and proclaims peace. So, setting aside the kind of feet thing for a moment, let's think about this. What is it about the gospel of peace? All right. First of all, Scripture is saying here, because this is the context of Ephesians 6, stand, stand firm in the gospel. Know where your feet are, know where your rock is beneath you. Stand firm by the, by the gospel. Paul in Galatians is very fierce in, 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 in uh, what he says to the, to the churches in Galatia. You know, you've been bewitched, you've been deceived, you've been moved away from the gospel. That was in, by legalism and, 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 and Judaism. Nowadays we have all sorts of things that, that, that move people away from the gospel. We're to refuse and reject all alternatives, whether that's so-called Christian or sects, things that look like Christian, like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism, or legalism, or cheap grace. It doesn't matter how you live nowadays, because God forgives you anyway. That's, that's the gospel of cheap grace. Reject that too. Reject humanism. Reject the gospel of, of wealth. You know? But if you're a child of God, you'll be a very rich man. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. We need to hang on to the real gospel. Stand firm in the gospel. Then having stood in it, we walk by it. We walk in the truth. We walk in the gospel. We walk by faith. Living, as we saw the other week, comes out of believing. If the only time we walk our faith all week is from the car park to the front door here, where's the rest of life gone? We live a life of faith. We live in the gospel every day of our lives. The word readiness or prepared, though, here points to another thing, and this compares with the scriptures we'll see later. We're to be ready to share, to communicate, to talk the gospel to other people. Be ready to give an answer, as we'll see in a few minutes' time. So let's break this down. Two words we need to think about and spell out. The first one is gospel. Gospel is an old English word that comes from the Anglo-Saxon God spell. I remember that movie called, the film called that? 
It's God's story, God's news. The gospel is God's news, God's story. In our English Bibles, that's translated in the Greek word evangelion, which means good news. It's in the scriptures, the good news of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom, and here in Ephesians, the good news of peace. But in many places in the adjustment, it's just called the gospel, the good news. And Jesus himself, often shorthand referred to, in Matthew and Mark particularly, the gospel, the good news. Now let's think about the word peace. In modern English usage, peace is just like the end of war or quiet. You know, I'm having some peace. I'm going, to, I'm going to the other room for a bit of quiet. You know. But if we track back through Scripture to the start of this thread, there's a Hebrew word behind it in the Old Testament. It's shalom. And shalom, which we generally translate as peace, it isn't always translated as peace, is rich in meaning. Here's Wikipedia for you. All right? Peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. So you can call Shalom peace, you can also call it good things, the gospel of good things. Living a whole life, knowing God's goodness in all of life. That is Shalom. So in Isaiah 52, which we just read, the heralding of peace is the same as saying the heralding of good, new, good things. The offer of peace from God is not just the absence of hostility, but the creation of harmony. The replacement of war with well-being. That's, that's how big this reconciliation that God has made. In the, he brings rebels into being dear children. Now here's the scripture you'll know as we come up to Christmas. Isaiah 9. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity, it says in version of music, but actually it's the same word, Shalom, Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. As it says in the King James, and we sing it in Handel's Messiah. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. End, an ever-increasing spread of his government, his kingdom, and therefore his peace, his shalom. <coughs> Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and his kingdom is characterized by peace. But we need to go back even further before the Hebrew word of shalom and think about peace, you see. Because we come back to this, that we're talking here about the peace of God. The peace of God. Now if you think about the love of God, or the joy of God, or the peace of God, we're saying a similar thing. Something that is within God himself, which he then reveals and shares with us. It's in him and from him, and we experience something which isn't from ourselves, it's from him. His love, His joy, His peace. I know I often have talked about this. But before God made anything, God was perfectly happy in Himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had love between them and joy 
between them and peace between them. There was an eternal triune relationship of honor and love and respect and service. And the reason God made the world was to, was a, was to create a, 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 a population, a people with whom he would share himself. That's why God made the world. To have creatures with whom he would share himself. That they would experience him. And they would experience his love. And his joy. And his peace. So the gospel of God is the gospel of peace. And it's really uh, the peace of God and the peace with God. So when we talk about what God offers us in the gospel, it, my friends, it is not just love, it is the love of God. What God offers is through the gospel, it's not just peace, it's His peace, the peace of God. It's not just joy, it's the joy of God. It's something from heaven that comes and touches you and sometimes even fills you, so you are overwhelmed by it. And I thank God for the moments in my life when I've been overwhelmed by His love and overwhelmed by His peace and overwhelmed by His joy. And in those moments of knowing the joy of God, I've, I've, I have literally laughed and cried until I wanted to stop laughing and crying because it hurt. <laughs> moments when, just moments, not many, moments when I thought, I can't take any more of this. This is just too much. The love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God. He's the God of peace. His kingdom is the kingdom of peace. His good news, the gospel, is the announcement and offer of peace. And the gospel, in another sense, is the proclamation of the king. It's the king's news. It is noticed that he's sent out. He's published. There you have a copy of the proclamation made by King George condemning the re revolution, the, the rebellion of the American states, the American colonies against his kingship. The proclamation of King George. I forgot the date. But that's what happened. A king in his you know, capital city would make a proclamation, it would be copied, it would be issued, it would be taken by messengers, and so that everybody in the kingdom had to hear the king's message. That's what the gospel is. Our king has sent his message. He's made his pronouncement. He's made his declaration. The kingdom of heaven has said his news. What is his message? It is the gospel. It's God's news. God's proclamation. It's the good news of God. What kind of God? This great God. The creator God. The almighty God. The father God. The God who is full in himself of love, joy and peace and desires to share them with us. It's the good news of Jesus the Messiah, his son. And it's the good news of peace and good things. So let me break that down into three parts. First of all, the gospel says this, our king has come. By the way, that's an angel. Notice it's accurate, there's no wings. <laughs> Not like those Victorian versions. Our king has come. That's an angel talking to the shepherds. The first part of the message is that God has come in the person of Jesus. He's invaded our world. 
But his first coming wasn't from heaven with clouds and an army of angels and fiery judgment. He didn't even turn up in a palace. He turned up in a stable. A cave, probably. Born of a young virgin. Born not in wealth at all, despite what some false teachers say. Here's the birth of Jesus announced to the shepherds by the angels. The angels said to the shepherds who were, who were terrified, I mean, come on, if an angel turned up, you wouldn't be, oh, hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> Usually when God himself or a messenger God turns up, the human reaction is on your face, on the ground. You don't have to be told to do it. It's just, whoa, I'm dead. The angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. All people. Every single human being in every part of the earth. Today, a Savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. That's Bethlehem. There will, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Big clue. Where would you look for a feeding trough? In a stable. So the angels delivered his message and suddenly, you know, a whole, most, uh, most let me just fantasize for it, heaven almost emptied. <laughs> there was a multitude of the heavenly host who turned up at that point in time. And they were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. Peace delivered from heaven to earth. And the angels go, whoa! Jesus hasn't done anything yet apart from cry. Yeah? But they, it's done as far as they're concerned. This is it. It's done. He's come. It's all going to happen. The good news is that the long-promised king has come from heaven. They're born in a stable, not a palace. Because the king has come, peace is offered to all people on earth. Because he's come to our rescue, to defeat our enemies and to save his people from our sins. And guess what? In defeating our enemies, he's defeated us too. See, the gospel of peace is this. We've been beaten but we've been rescued. You don't come to God proudly. You come to God as someone who's been defeated. Your life was headed for death. I, I was just thinking this morning, you know, how clearly did God warn Adam and Eve? The day you eat of it, you'll die. And they ignored the warning. They, they, they literally chose death over life. Every one of us is marching to not just a physical death, but an eternal death. But God in Jesus has offered us life and peace. Our God has come. Now, some of Christmas I enjoy and some of it I hate. Just the adverts and commercialism and you've got to do this and you've got to have that and Get rid of all your Christmas decorations because those aren't in this year's. This year's fashion is, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And how fancy does the food have to be? I mean, many of us have an upset tummy on Boxing Day because we've eaten too well on Sunday, Christmas Day. I mean, how much do you need and how rich must it be? But it's like, you know, it's become a competitive sport celebrating Christmas. Like weddings have become a competitive sport. Mm, they had so-and-so, I'm going to have this. Where it goes on. 
So there's bits of Christmas I really go, ah. But listen, it gives us Christians an opportunity to, to communicate this bit of the gospel. Our King has come. God has come to this world in the person of Jesus and lived amongst us and felt and understands every bit of life that we go through. And if you don't believe that, you need to go to Hebrews and read it again. He was tested in every way like we are, yet did not sin. You cannot tell Jesus you do not understand. It's a lie. He understands. He feels with us, knows what we experience. So the second bit, and the way I'm going to present it to you this morning is this. Our king has won. He's won. It's the victory of Christ. He came and he conquered. He conquered sin and disease and death and Satan. And he didn't just do that in going to the cross and in his resurrection. He did that every day of his life. Every day of his life he was dealing with life as it came to him and overcoming it. Disappointments. His friends letting him down. You know, not getting it and, 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 and trying to chew, make, push him a different direction when he knew what he was called to be and to do. Jesus dealt with real life. He was not some, some sort of strange hologram, you know, floating six inches off the ground and real life never happened to him. He was a real person encountering real life and overcoming it day after day after day, whatever came his way. You see him being tempted by the devil in a, in a particular fierce encounter, but the devil didn't give up and go away and leave that for you know, years to come. The constant provocation, constant trials came to Jesus. He overcame in his death. What looked like defeat was actually victory. Jesus conquered death. And he conquered Satan and all the powers of darkness in the cross. That's what it says in Scripture, in the cross. Then he overcame in his resurrection. Like the guy said earlier, the check had cleared. (laughs) Jesus, by the resurrection... uh, it demonstrates that everything he did, everything he did on the cross has been accepted, has paid the price. So every good thing that God offers us to us in the gospel is because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That whole track, his life, his death, his resurrection, that brings to us every good thing that God promises us in the gospel, which is wrapped up in this one word, actually, peace. It's the victory and resurrection of Jesus. Our Lamb has conquered. Now, I could give you lots of scriptures here. I thought, why don't I just go to a few songs? Many of you won't be familiar with these songs. The power of sin is broken. Jesus overcame it all. He has won our freedom. Jesus has won it all. Hallelujah. You have won the victory. Hallelujah. You've won it all for me. Slightly selfish song, but never mind. We sing that, don't we? We sing the victory of Jesus. Take another one. A bit further down the same song. Death could not hold you down. You are the risen king. Seated in majesty, you are the risen king. Our God is risen. He is alive. He won the victory. He reigns on high. Lion and the Lamb. 
For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. He's continuing to fight our battles, but he has fought the big ones. The outcome has already been settled. The real victory is already there. We are now announcing his victory and implementing his victory, which has already been won. There isn't some big victory for us to win, folks. You know, wrong thinking. There isn't some battle that we must go and win. Jesus has won it. We declare and implement his victory, which is already done. Resurrection or Anastasia. Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. That's how praise the name of the Lord our God, otherwise known as Lord. The resurrecting King is resurrecting me. Do you know that song? The tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the grave. I've gotten two more. Stronger. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. And the last one, the victor's crown. At the cross, the work was finished. You were buried in the ground. But the, that should, that's his grace. Oh, my word. It should say grave. Spell checkers aren't always helpful. But the grave could not contain you, for you wear the victor's crown. We sing regularly about the victory of Jesus in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. But as, as I heard again yesterday, and I've heard it many times recently, our praise and our worship must be more than our anthem. We need to be living this thing. Every day. Not just singing it on a Sunday. Actually, every day of our lives, standing firm in the gospel and say, Jesus has won. He's won the victory. This isn't my fight. He's fought it. I trust in him. I'll go through this with his strength, wearing his armor. Because he's already won the victory. Our God has come. Our God has won. The third thing is this, our king makes his offer of peace. Now, we do not turn up to a negotiating table like, you know, the Brexit thing going off this morning. We come to God's peace conference rather as the defeated people in the First and Second World Wars did because the king has the whole control of this. It's his offer of peace. Some people, some preachers say, make your peace with God. I have a theological problem with that. You don't make your peace with God. He's made peace with you. God has unilaterally made peace. And he offers his terms. We don't negotiate. We don't contribute. We simply have to accept. You don't sit with God and have a tete-a-tete, well, I think this, and you, you know, well, I can't do, you know, well, maybe, you know. There is no negotiation. The king offers his terms. The gospel says, this is the offer. Yeah. 
This is it. The third part of the message is what it means for us. He offers us on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished. And the offer is this, nothing less than be, to be fully reconnected to God through Jesus. To the source of all life and love and wisdom and wholeness and peace. God calls us back to himself by the gospel. Back to be children of a loving Heavenly Father. Jesus has made peace and reconciliation and acceptance for us. Our rebellion has been put down. Been overcome and has been forgiven. We lost children can come home to our Father. But the announcement of peace is not unconditional. It's not automatic. You know, God says it so everybody gets it. No, no, no. We have to respond to his offer. And the way we do that is these Bible words. Repentance, faith, obedience. You don't, you don't negotiate the deal, but you respond to the deal. You turn away from the way you've been living and turn to God and say, yes, please, I want, to, I want to receive your offer. I want to receive your offer. Turn to him. And in turning to him, you're turning away from some things that he will tell you about and walk, walk you through, and, and, and there'll, be, there'll be a whole big heap of change come to your life as you deal with issues one after another that, because you're now, a, you're now a person of faith and a child of God. And it's faith, trust. Dependence, reliance. Our biggest problem in life is ourselves. We are so selfish, self-interested, so self-reliant. We really think we're the biggest thing on the planet. But life revolves around us, you know. Some people centuries ago thought that the, the whole, the, everything revolved around, around the earth. The earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around the earth. Science taught us not to think like that anymore. But in our hearts, in foolish, wicked human hearts, every one of us has moments when we are imagining that we're the center of everything. It all revolves around us. That's why we have to sing the songs that Jesus is the center. It's all around him. It's all about him. The king's offer must be responded to, accepted. Jesus told stories about this thing in his parables. The king's throwing a wedding for his son. Get it? <laughs> okay, let's not explain it. And he sends out invitations. They say, oh, I'm too busy. I can't come. I've just got, I've just got bought a new piece of land and, and I've, I've just married a wife and, you know, You've got to be clear about what you're doing with the land and what you're doing with the wife there. You get confused. But they make all their excuses. So the king says, okay, go out into the highways and byways. Find lame people and beggars and people who haven't, haven't even got a clean shirt on their back. Bring them in because we're going to have a feast for my son. God invites people to his feast. But right now, in this planet, today... People are hearing his offer and are right now today accepting or rejecting the offer of the gospel. They're receiving it or they're rejecting it. And if you put it off to another day, you're rejecting it. Because you don't know you've got another day. The right response to God's offer is repentance and faith, trust and obedience. 
You must trust his promises and then live a life of faith, which is about receiving his promises, but also obeying his instructions. Do not imagine that you can be a Christian and ignore what God says to you. The, the word of God, when it gives you instruction, it shapes the way you live, you can readily ignore. You know, f- faith, and, faith and disobedience don't belong in the same sentence. The gospel calls us this, this tops and tails, the book of Romans. The gospel calls us to this, the obedience of faith. Because we believe, we live. What we believe shapes the way we live. So we need to be thinking of disobedience as being an ugly thing and a horrible thing. And How did I think of that? How could I possibly think that it was okay to, to ignore doing this or to, or to choose to do that? And prayer play, plays an important part in this. I showed very briefly Philippians 4, verse 7 earlier. Let me read this, Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Now, that isn't put on the record. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Silly song that makes you feel a bit cheerful for a minute. Here's the real answer. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to this promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is as we process all of life back to God in prayer, believing his word, that we continue to live in his peace. Now I want to ask you something. When you think of evangelism, sharing the gospel, there's a strange thing, but for centuries Christians have kind of switched into a kind of aggression mode. Fierce face. We even used to talk about evangelistic rallies and crusades. Crusades? What do you mean? Crusades? Can you imagine, you know, an unbelieving person who say, would, would you like to come to our crusade? What? Why have we wrapped it around winning people to Jesus in aggressive and militaristic language? It is so unhelpful. In fact, it's contrary to Scripture. The kingdom of God is not advanced by aggression on our part. Let me show you a Scripture which I believe has been completely taken out of context and misapplied. Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and violent people have been seizing it by force. Now, I do not believe Jesus is there saying, that is how we advance the kingdom. I want you to notice that he speaks of a time. The time was from the time John the Baptist had arrived until when Jesus was speaking those words, until now. The now isn't our now, it was that now, his now. John the Baptist had started to preach and he was preaching about the kingdom of God is near and so people were expecting the kingdom of God to come and the way they thought about it was that Israel is going to be a kingdom again and we're going to kick out the Romans and God's going to be in charge and hey, let's go for it. So some violent people seizing this message of the kingdom of God started to try to make the kingdom happen by force. Something was happening then. We know that in the time of Jesus there were freedom fighters. Though, you know, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. 
And they were there in the time of Jesus. They wanted to overthrow the Romans. They wanted Romans. They wanted to restore the kingdom to Israel. And they heard John's message and misinterpreted it and thought, let's go, guys. Let's grab it. Some of them were called the zealots. And one of those became a disciple of Jesus, Simon the Zealot. He was one of those rebels who became a disciple. Another one of those was a man called Barabbas. Scripture tells us very plainly that Barabbas was part the one who had taken part in an insurrection, a rebellion, and that he was a murderer. And have you ever thought about this? The cross upon which Jesus died was the cross of Barabbas. It was prepared for him. Jesus was crucified between two thieves, but he, the notice that would have been on the cross was Barabbas, murderer. But Pilate changed it and had the notice put up, Jesus, King of the Jews. Jesus died on Barabbas' cross. There were these people who were taking the kingdom by force. I believe that's a time-limited statement about what was happening then. That is not a recommendation of how we go about sharing the gospel now. I believe that aggression is completely misplaced in our communicating the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is not, uh, the kingdom of Jesus is not advanced by violence. Look at what Jesus says elsewhere. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed up to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. This is not about territory. This is not about invasions. This is not about overthrowing governments. That's what Jesus is saying there. It's not about that. That's not the way it's happening. That's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, doesn't work like the kingdom of this world. It's not advanced by worldly strategies. And in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus, chapter 6 particularly, Jesus teaches us about non-violence. Don't resist someone who oppresses you as a Christian. And if he commands you to walk a mile, walk another one. If he wants to take your, your, your coat, give him your shirt as well. Passive resistance. Now, I'm not making a case for political and national pacifism. A nation on earth would be easily overthrown by its enemies if it offered no resistance to them. We live in an increasingly evil time in national and international politics as well. And the mistake that some so-called Christian nations have made over the, year, over the centuries is this, that we think that by changing the law we can change people's hearts. We can make the whole nation Christian by passing the right laws. No. The only thing that will make people Christians is the gospel. And when a majority of the citizens in a nation are all Christians, then we might think about some of the laws we could change because there's a majority of us for them. His teachings, the teaching of Jesus, are for us Christians to follow. We're to live by his words, not the philosophies of the world. We're set apart to be the Lord's and we are different from the world. We together, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And it's a strange fight we're in, isn't it? When the devil and the world hate us and attack us, we respond to human beings, at least, with the gospel of peace and demonstrate to those human enemies grace and forgiveness. We don't even resist their violence. 
That's what Jesus taught us. Why? Wow, does that make us different or what? Totally different. So I want to suggest to you that there is an attitude in Scripture about the way that we communicate good news with people. We need to check our attitude. Let's put away any talk about soul winning, which is a bit like adding another scalp to your belt. It's not appropriate. We need to check our attitude. If we're up, you know, we can think, you know, oh, you know, this kind of aggression thing, Man, men particularly. Oh, I really told him. You know, I really. You probably didn't win him. You gave him a good telling too, telling to, but you probably didn't win him, whoever he was. Winning arguments doesn't necessarily win people. Being argumentative and assertive doesn't necessarily win anything. Do we think that by contending for the faith we're setting everyone's ears burning? Is that being ready with the gospel of peace? The gospel of peace? How are we going to communicate the gospel of peace? By being peaceable people. And the words and the walk have to go together. It is, it is a ridiculous idea to think we can express the gospel of peace to someone in an aggressive way. <laughs> it's like crazy. What? It's the gospel of peace for crying out loud. The way we present the good news makes it sometimes not such good news after all. Yeah? The way we're communicating it to people. They're put off by our attitude. Check the attitude. Make it match the message. If our message is the offer of peace, we need to be peaceable, gentle, because that's the nature of the one who sent us. Jesus said this, the peacemakers, those who make peace are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. Why? Because he's the God of peace. And when his peace is in their hearts, that's, they spill that out with other people. Oh, you belong to him. You know, you're the children of, of the God of peace. Because of the way we're conducting ourselves. We're to pursue peace with other believers. Because most of the things we do outside of church, we need to learn in church, between ourselves. Having faith to walk in obedience, and faith to pray for people, to be healed, and all kinds of things. We learn them together, and then we go and do them away from the church community. So then, we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Romans, Hebrews, pursue peace with everyone. That's not just every Christian, but everyone. And holiness, without, without it, no one will see the Lord. But then we need to be peaceable towards those who do not yet know the Lord Christ. 1 Peter 3. Honour the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now that's not being in their face. I want to tell you something. It's they've asked you something and you're giving a response. Being ready to give a defense, a, a, a explanation for the hope that is in you. And notice the next verse. Do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping your conscience clear so that when you're accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. James says a similar thing. 
generally to us. My dearly beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. There are times like, like we were hearing yesterday at the men's conference. There are times you feel frustrated, but you need to focus your frustration and figure out how, how, how you're going to find God's help to do something that changes that. You're upset about something. You've had enough with it. Well, seek God about how to change that, how to bring, bring some answer to it. But man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. It doesn't produce something good. The anger can be a sign that something needs fixing. Sure. But if you, you know, there may be things in the house that need fixing. But I'll tell you this. If, 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 if the light bulb needs fixing, you getting really, really cross with the light bulb isn't going to make fixing it any easier. <laughs> would help you to count to ten before you, before you screw the light bulb completely into pieces. Right? James also says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits without favoritism, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness, God's kingdom increasing, his goodness being spread, is, show, is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. We are to be peacemakers. That doesn't mean we compromise with anything. We're not talking about compromise. We're not talking about dumbing down. We're talking about an attitude of heart that goes with gentleness and peaceableness and respect and says, I'm sorry, I don't agree with you. This is how I see it. This is what I believe. You see, I don't know if you know, there's about three A's coming along here. This is the third A. We are ambassadors of the king. We're ambassadors. We who trust in the Lord Jesus are the recipients of his peace and cities of his kingdom and we're his messengers. But we don't just announce this news, we live it. Let me explain what an ambassador does. An ambassador goes from the court of his king to another country and he represents his king there. And the king sends his message, message, messages to his ambassador and his ambassador delivers them. But he lives there, and his citizenship and home is in another country, but a bit of that country is in where the ambassador lives. If you go to the British embassy in France, not, they don't serve you French food. They serve you English food because the place represents Britain. Right? Just an illustration. But you, when you walk into the embassy, you're in a, you're in a bit of the UK. That's officially a bit of Britain. You're on British territory. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus. How the ambassador lives in a foreign country reflects on his king. And they may write to the king and say, you're ambassador, well, the way he lives, well. The ambassador represents the king not just when he turns up and makes an official statement, but every minute of every day living in that foreign land he is the representative of the king. Brothers and sisters, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are citizens of heaven living in an alien world. And you think I'm making it up. I better give you the scripture. 
2 Corinthians 5. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry, small lamb, don't think that makes us all preachers. It's a small lamb, service of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This is the gospel again. Not counting their trespasses against them. And he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Didn't you have a better idea, Lord? He's committed the message of this reconciliation, God's offer of peace, to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Accept his offer. We don't belong to this world. We're strangers, foreigners, aliens here. We serve another king and another kingdom. And we live for him and speak for him every day of our lives as his ambassadors until he takes us home. So let me ask you now what to me is an obvious question. How is my being ready to share the gospel of peace, which is through faith in Jesus, like a piece of armor? Okay, it's, it's feet shod, but how is that armor? How does that help me? The answer is this. We gain and grow in faith when we share our faith. When we share joy, think about this. When we share joy, we don't lose joy, we draw others into that joy. You see, people get have joy in all sorts of things, you know. Uh, let, me, let me give this illustration, okay. Some people really like a certain TV program. So when they, when they go into the workplace or with, with their friends or with their family, did you see so-and-so last night? It was good, wasn't it? They're talking about something that gave them some enjoyment. And they want others to share the enjoyment. When they're communicating their joy, their enjoyment, they're not losing joy, they're, they're sharing joy. And when we share faith, when we share good news, when we share hope with people, we do not lose, we gain. We're not the less for it, we're the more for it. In fact, I give you this as a phrase, shared faith is strengthened faith. When you confess the Lord Jesus to people, the Holy Spirit will go, well done. It's like a slap on the back inside. I can't describe it to you, but there's a sense of the pleasure of God, the smile of God. And, and maybe the person you just talked to didn't feel it, but you felt it. Shared faith is strengthened faith. The more you share the gospel with others, and I appreciate there are limits on how you do this in certain workspaces, but you know, listen, the Bible doesn't say we've all got to be, 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 be huge soul winners. The problem is some people are evangelistic. They, they have a gift from God to, to be evangelists. And the mark of an evangelist is this. They can preach a rubbish sermon and people get saved all over the place. Because they've got, their gift is to call people to Christ, not to be Bible teachers. It's like, I just, you, you see it and you think, what did he just do? That, guy, that, that, that sermon got all that response. It's nothing to do with the sermon he preached. He's got the gift from God of calling people to faith in Christ Jesus, that person. But we're not all like them. They want us all to be like them, just as I like everybody to be, you know, Bible teacher. But, you know, you're not all Bible teacher. We're not all like them. But we all can do what the Bible says, which is be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Be ready to explain why you live differently from other people. 
You're ready to say when someone asks you, what did you do at the weekend? You don't mumble about watching Strictly. Or whatever. You say, well, actually, I went to church. I was with my friends. We were worshipping the Lord. And they go, oh. Well, they go, oh, really? Be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. The more confident you are in the gospel, the more the gospel works in you. The gospel's already like a belt of truth that grips you and a breastplate to protect you. But confessing your faith in the Lord can only strengthen your faith. And I issue this challenge. Go and try it at least once this week. Watch for the opportunity. Watch for the conversation. And just very, very simply say why you're a Christian. And see if that doesn't make you feel good, having done it. Now, it isn't it that makes you feel good. It's the Holy Spirit who affirms, well done. God's smile. So what have we... What have you done? What are you doing with the good news? Is it kind of out there you think, yeah, I know, I know that's true. Yeah. Or is it like, it's here. It's for me. It's what my life shapes itself to now. This gospel is, that, is my life. This good news has changed my life and it's changing my life. And uh, I mustn't get into future sermons. Let me stop there on that one. Are you believing the good news and living the good news? Standing firm in it, walking with it. How good is the good news to you? Is it something that goes out of your mind for days, on a t- days at a time? Or is it something that feeds your soul? Nourishes your insides regularly. Regularly. See, we do regularly, readily talk about all sorts of things. A TV program, a book, a movie, a film. Sorry, that's the same as a movie. A meal. But if you are in yourself, as an individual Christian, enjoying the grace of God and the peace of God, you surely will be ready to point others to that, to, to the same answer, to the gospel. And being ready with the gospel is like armor for you. It's strength for you. So watch for the opportunities. They come at the strangest places, and they come sometimes when it's inconvenient, you know? Um, when you're busy going this way and someone intervenes and you think, do I stop? See, that's, that's the Samaritan thing, isn't it? I'm busy. I mean, he, yeah, I, I know about it, but I'm busy. Don't let busyness keep you from particular encounters of the Holy Spirit coming and helping you and enabling you and using you in some way or other. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will give you an opportunity when you're busy and you need to figure out what your higher values are at that moment getting what you thought you needed to get done, done, or dealing with that. Um, Evangelism is not a duty. It's not everybody's got to do this, everybody's got to do that. It's sharing what you believe, what you live. It's sharing about the God who's shown his goodness to you and whose peace you are experiencing. Shalom covers you and shapes the way you are. And you're willing to talk about that when you have opportunity. And evangelism too is not an individualistic thing. I for years and years had a huge riddled conscience about soul winning. and Because people, especially my friends who are evangelists, always, they're trying to make us all soul winners. You go out there and you lead someone to Christ, you give them to say the prayer. Well, hey, done, job done. 
go home. Yay! Listen, most of the instruction in the New Testament are to a group of people, not to an individual. We win people for Jesus and root them into faith and provide them with, with, with mentoring and discipleship and readiness for baptism together. So actually, one of the best things you can do is if you find someone who's interested, is say, would you like to come with me on Sunday? Because we do this, we see people one to faith in Jesus together. If God's made you evangelistic and you see people being one to Christ when you're just out there, hallelujah, praise God for that. But, but most of us aren't like that. We do this together as a corporate activity. And in fact, one of the things is the, the, the people who bring people in aren't always the people who are good at caring people and raising them up. And so, so other people come in and become the mentors and the, 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 you know, the disciples and the pastors and so on who will help people. It's a teamwork, guys. We together are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we together share in the great commission of Jesus, which is going to all the world. Tell them the good news. Make disciples of those who believe. That, we do that together as a corporate group of people. So I'm not hanging on you a responsibility to go out there and win someone to Christ this week. But I'm suggesting that if you all keep your eyes open and your ears open, there will be an opportunity this week for you to give an answer for those that yes. And the more you see it, the more you do it. This becomes like strengthening armor to us. We gain confidence in the truth when we are speaking the truth to others. People talk about positive confession, and very often they mean just on your own. I'm confessing and declaring this. But, you know, when you are talking to somebody and you tell them what you believe and why you believe it, what you believe just went whoop, <laughs> it just got stronger because you shared it. So don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on that possibility that your faith is strengthened because it is shared. Father, we thank you for Scripture. Thank you for your Word. We pray now that in this day, in this coming week, some of us will be going home where there are people who are not Christians. And they just might ask, what happened this morning? <laughs> How was your meeting? I pray that we will not fumble out some little Weasley words, but be very bold to say exactly what we found, what we heard, what helped us. To talk about how our faith shapes our life. To talk about how you are the center of our world. You are the source of every good thing. And that your good news, that your, our king has come, our king has won, and he offers his peace, his whole good news of good things, even to those who sit around our table this lunchtime. His offer is to all this side of Jesus' return. And the offer still stands. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people are going to come and help us in breaking bread this morning. Would you come in the service, please? And uh, while we're doing that, if somebody wants prayer for some reason, please come forward. We'll pray with you. We'll get people here to do that with you as well. We'll put on some music so you can uh, talk without, you know, um, <laughs> necessarily being over and praying for, pray for somebody without necessarily being overheard because a bit of background music helps on that scheme.
so we just do this together today again to commemorate, to remember that every good thing and perfect thing comes from the Father of light, yes, but comes to us through the cross of Jesus, through the sacrifice once for all that Jesus 